I'm going to open the Word of God in just a little bit, but I want to I give it a little bit of a context. And uh, if you could, Tina, put up my, my title slide. It's a very serious subject today. God uses big chickens. Glory be to Jesus. So, yes, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I think I might be able to just stop right there and <laughs> we go home. But um, I'm going to do a little bit of explaining about this. Faith, we've heard a lot about faith over our walk with God. Even those of you who are new to, to this journey, um, faith is in our vocabulary. A, a man and wife are supposed to be faithful to each other. Um, you should be faithful to your commitments. So we, we know this word. But I'm going to talk specifically about, about the faith in, in God and what that looks like today. Faith, according to the definition, a definition, is, is faith is a strong belief or confidence. At least that's how I'm using it today. There are a few different meanings, but faith is a strong belief or confidence. So we turn to the Bible, and what does it mean? Hebrews gives us a very confusing definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? I have never really gotten that one nailed down. I think that's part of the point. But faith, to, to paraphrase that, is faith is believing that what is not yet seeable is really there. It's already there, and faith is believing that it is there. Um, if I believed... If I had faith that there was, there was a step right here, I couldn't see it, but I, if I really believed it, I could step out on it, and we'd find out if it was there or not. Um, it's not, but I've done that before. You know, you come down the steps, and you think there's a step there, and you miss it. Hopefully, it's that you think there's one there that, that you, you've gotten to the end earlier than you think, because if you, if you have an extra step and you don't take it, yeah, your, your faith doesn't matter a whole lot. It's, you're just going to face plant. I have a, a boo-boo on my ankle because I did that in our basement. Yeah, it, it wasn't there. <laughs> I thought it was, but it wasn't there. But God doesn't do that to us. But that doesn't mean we feel like he's going to do that. We don't feel like he's going to do that. James, as we've been studying in small groups, tells us that faith, it's not good enough to just say, oh, I believe I believe we have to put our actions behind that. Even the devil believes that there is one God. Um, and he believes it, and he puts his work behind it in a different way. But so believing isn't enough. We have to put our actions behind it. And faith is not just passive. It's not just sitting on the chair. Can't say pew anymore, but chair, and saying, oh, I believe a lot, of, a lot of people think that's what Christianity is, is just believing. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And that's good. And it is good, but you have to put something else behind it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So in honor of Brother Desi, we're going to do a slow read of Gideon's story. Now, I know if you've been in Sunday school or you've grown up in the church or... 
Uh, if you've read the book of Judges, you know about Gideon's story. So let's try today to um, read it with fresh eyes and see if we can see it anew. Um, with this image in your head of God uses big chickens. But I want to apply it to me, and I want you to apply it to you, because each of us is particular. And God asks different things of us, even within our own life as we move along on our journey. So what I need to do today might not be what I needed to do three years ago, and it might not be what I need to learn four years from now. So I ask you to, A, read it with fresh eyes, and B, um, try to apply it to you and what God is wanting for you. So let's turn to, um, before I read Judges 6 and 7, Tina, if you could turn to Hebrews, if you could put up Hebrews 11.32. Now, obviously we're talking about Gideon, and we're talking about faith, so let's go to the, the Hall of Faith, or the Hall of Fame for Faith. Hebrews 11 is known as the Faith Chapter. That's where that substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen comes from. It lists a whole bunch of people who were filled with faith. Abraham, you know, people that are, that are really big in our minds. At the very end, he says, I'm assuming it's a he that wrote Hebrews, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, there he is, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and maybe you don't know those names, probably Samsa, Samson, but David, Samuel, and all the prophets. So this is the list Gideon's with, okay, these big names, David, Samuel, all the prophets. By faith, what they do with their faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Now here's where I really think it, it comes to Gideon. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. So this is the company that the, the Bible to, puts Gideon in. So we're going to do a slow read now of Judges chapters 6 and 7. And just follow along. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes if you can. Here's the context. The Israelites, they had a great victory in chapter 5. They're singing about it, rejoicing. God has delivered them. Uh, and then we go through this cycle again that the children of Israel did. And Judges 6 verse 1 says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Um, the Lord lets us fall into things or even puts us in situations sometimes where it hurts a little bit so that we'll turn back to him. And that's not pleasant, but it happens because we do just like the Israelites and we go up and down, unfortunately. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So these, they're literally living in caves. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and all the people of the east would attack Israel. Now, we don't know our geography very well, but Midian and Amalek and the people from the east, that was all around. So all around them, people came from far, far away, ganged up on them, and I can't figure out whether they just, like, 
ruined the crops they had sown or whether they let it come to harvest and right before harvest time wiped it up. Either way, um, they camped in the land and destroyed the crops as far away as Gaza, which was very, very far away. So the whole land, they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. And this happened every year for several years. The enemy's hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. Now, we just had a cicada thing happen this spring, right? It was probably even more than that. You know, just everywhere, if you've ever seen a bunch of bugs or, you know, you, you squished a mama spider and didn't realize it was a mama spider and the spiders just went everywhere. One of those kind of things where there's just too many to, to count. Um, that's what this was like. So they were thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Isn't that the way we do? We can handle it. We're good. Oh, whoops. God, help! That's, that's what I do. I got this, God. Oh, can you help me? It's like I was here all along. But he's understanding and merciful. So I'm going to skip down to verse 11. And this is where we'll, we'll start really analyzing. That was just kind of the background. So these, these, the Israelites are starving. Their livestock has been carried away. They're living in caves. And they have these enemies that just keep coming. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. Now, Gideon is at Ophrah. This is his father's land. And um, he didn't know that this angel of the Lord was an angel at first, we see. Um, but this, this great tree at Ophrah belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So he had somehow got a little bit of grain, and he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now today, that doesn't make much to us. But a wine press, believe it or not, was not for threshing wheat. It was for pressing wine or stomping on grapes or whatever. And a wine press wasn't very deep. There's lots of different designs of them, but none of them were very deep. At the deepest, it wasn't probably as tall as this wall. So he's hiding I don't know how he's threshing wheat. Maybe he's rubbing it with his hand or beating it or something. I don't know. He's using a wine press, probably because they wouldn't be hunting for him there, hiding out, and this angel of the Lord, this man to him, comes and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And, and I kind of picture Gideon doing one of, one of these, like, who's he talking to? Because... He's not feeling very heroic. He's hiding out in this little squat position, you know, um, beating a little bit of wheat so he can eat dinner that night. And he's just being a chicken, basically. Now he's got some, some wheat. He got it from somewhere. He's doing something, right? He's not just sitting in his cave um, hoping that dinner will show up. He's doing something. And this angel of the Lord appears and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So Gideon replies, Sir, if the Lord is with us, 
Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? In other words, yeah, right, the Lord is with us. I don't see him anywhere. I don't see him at all. He hasn't shown up in a while. We heard these great stories. Not sure I'm believing him because the Lord seems to be gone. Certainly not with us. Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And he wasn't wrong about they handed us over to the Midianites, but he was wrong about the abandoned us. So even when we think he's abandoned us, God has never, ever, ever abandoned us. So he's basically saying, excuse me, kind sir, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not a hero. The Lord is not with us. You're just daft in the head. And what he didn't know is that God was about to answer his question of where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? (laughs) Well, since you asked, then the Lord, so we're seeing that this angel of the Lord is probably a manifestation of God himself. It was this thing called theophany, which is a physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament. You'll see it in the burning bush. When it says the angel of the Lord If you keep reading, it's often described as the Lord himself, wrestled with Jacob, this kind of thing. So the Lord, the angel of the Lord, says, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And Gideon, I imagine, is like, Go with the strength I have? I don't have any strength. I'm hiding behind this little bitty squat wall because I have a little bit of grain I'm trying to thresh out. I don't have any strength. And Gideon says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. Now, they had, you know, the firstborn was, got more wealth than all the rest, and They had a real hierarchy of what clan was most important and then the family within the clan. And and he's saying, I'm just a nobody. I'm the runt of the litter, you know. I, I have no strength at all. But um, the Lord didn't see it that way. He said, go with the strength you have. And I think that's important to us today because a lot of times we do feel in our lives, in our walk with God, I don't have any strength. Well, that's true. We don't have any strength except except that God gives us strength. So the strength we have is not our own. It's the strength of God, and that is infinite. So he says, I will be with you. This is the angel of the Lord. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now, remember, this is uh, locusts. Their camels were like locusts, okay? This is like a lot of people. And the Lord says to him, you'll wipe them out as if you're fighting against just one man. Gideon replied, okay, so God is telling him these things. You're going to do this wonderful 
exploit. You're going to wipe out the enemy. You have strength. And Gideon says, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. So he's asking for a sign. And God is faithful and patient with us as we are chicken. So he, the, the angel says, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurries home. Now, this seems to me very strange. He cooked a young goat, so I guess he had to butcher this goat, cook it, and he didn't have a microwave, and with a basket of flour, and if you look it up, this basket of flour is like a bushel-sized basket of flour. This is like a ton of flour. I don't know where he got it. Maybe his threshing had gone well. I don't know. But um, he, he's making this huge meal, a goat and this bushel of flour that he's making unleavened bread, and he's, he's, he prepares this. Maybe he's thinking, if I just work long enough here in the kitchen, this guy will be gone when I go back. I don't know. That's not scripture. That's Regina. But he carries the meat, then carrying the meat in a basket, and the broth in a pot. He brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. So he didn't go away. He was still there, even after all that work in the kitchen. The angel of the Lord, by the way, working in the kitchen can be men's work too. You see that? It's biblical. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Rick. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and then pour the broth over it. What a waste of good broth. But okay, maybe he's gonna, the bread will sop it up. Maybe he had a, a Panera bread bowl. I don't know. Um, so poured the broth over it and Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread and with the tip of his staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Okay, he wanted a sign. He got a sign. This is kind of like Elijah, you know, in the fire from heaven. It consumed the whole thing, and then the angel of the Lord disappears. And Gideon knows, okay, now it's obviously not just a strange man that wants some food and is telling me nonsense. This is the Lord. He's got a sign. Okay, shouldn't be chicken anymore. He's got his sign. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay, that's a very strange response. Not, wow, God's really good. Nope, I'm doomed. Uh, now we see that the Lord speaks to him without an angel. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. Well, that's good. We won't die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. Again, this wasn't what God asked for, but okay. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, okay, he's told him you're going to go wipe out the Midianites. Done this sign. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Now, in this land we have very little livestock. Evidently there's at least two bulls 
left in the land, but everything else has been carried away. They don't have a lot of extra food. So when you have no bread or no grain, you can eat meat, right? Well, we're going to take your... The, the second ox, the seven-year-old, which would be a strong, um, a bull, not ox, from your father's hurt. And uh, while you're at it, pull down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. So these were altars worshipped to the fertility gods of the land. When you're being attacked, you have no crops. It would make sense that the ancient pagan or polytheistic people would turn to fertility gods, right? Well, God is telling him, go cut down your father's altar. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So they don't have enough to eat, and they're going to be turning to these fertility gods to make their crops grow. And now Gideon is pulling those down, offering up his father's very rare bull and doing this thing, making this altar. So, um, but you see that Gideon had one thing to do. He's been told this prophecy, you're going to wipe out the Midianites. But God gave him one thing to do, and he had the power to do it. Okay? He had one thing to do, and he knew how to do it. So he took 10 of his servants. Where were these servants when it was time to thresh the wheat behind the wine press? I don't know, but he has 10 servants. And he did as the Lord commanded, but he did, not, he, he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. <laughs> so, oh, brave Gideon, yay! He's tearing down altars, he's sacrificing bulls, but he's doing it at night so that they can't see him. He was a chicken. Now, but he did what God told him to do. Do you see that? He, he did tear down the Asherah pole. He did sacrifice the bull. He did build the altar. He just did it at night. He wanted some control of what was going on here. And you know what? I do the same thing. Like, okay, God, I'll do what you want, but... Let's do it, like, in secret, okay? Okay. So early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. This was quite a night, wasn't it? Um, The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. We must, he must die for destroying the altar of Baal, cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down the altar. It's kind of like in the, in the uh, New Testament uh, Gamaliel, that said, if, if Jesus, if these Jesus believers are wrong, then they'll just go their way. And if they're right, we don't want to stand against them. So Gideon's father kind of came through, kind of didn't. But he said, let Baal defend himself. 
Um, and they changed Gideon's name. From then on, Gideon was named Jerubbaal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. We don't think, we don't call him Jerubbaal, but it was a big deal that his name got changed. Soon afterward, this happens again. The armies of Midian, Amalek, the people of the east formed alliance against Israel, crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. So here's the strength that he has. He blew a ram's horn to call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded, yay, he's doing this thing. He's going to take over and wipe out the enemy. Um, he just had one thing to do, and he did it, right? Now, this time he's a little more, more forceful because the strength of the Lord is with him. Then Gideon said to God, this is funny. Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, if... Prove it in this way. So I guess his faith was kind of like mine. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. In the morning, if the fleece is wet with dew, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. So think of like a, a sheep's woolly skin. Okay. He squeezes it, and a whole, bo- bo- whole bowl of water comes out. The ground around is dry, so that's pretty amazing, right? God is showing up and showing out. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. What? You just saw this huge miracle. Let me use the fleece one more time. So we got a wet fleece here, right? It's, it's wet. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. He's so patient with us. He really is. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. It's okay. It's, it's not okay, but it is okay for us to doubt. God is patient with us. He is so patient with me. And he's patient with you. And it's okay if we are a big chicken like Gideon. Gideon was a big chicken, right? And he kept asking God, show me. If you show me, I'll believe. And God shows him. And he, okay, show me again. You know, don't be angry at me. Show me again. And then God will show him. And then he'll say, I, I need one more thing, God. And he just keeps doing this. And... God puts up with it. We're, we're moving along here. So Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. So they got this group, and we'll see later, about 32,000 Israelite men, fighters. The Lord said to Gideon, you got too many warriors with you. What? I don't have too many warriors. You crazy? Well, that's what he said. Um, If you go fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, you can go home. Well, that's kind of silly. 
They're an outnumbered army, like way outnumbered, with their, their livestock has been taken away. So they don't have camels and, and, you know, whatever they used to fight on back then. They don't have that. They're just on foot against this whole locust amount of camels and all this stuff. And, and Gideon says, if you are scared at all, go home. Well, I probably would have been hightailing it out of there, but um, two-thirds of them left for home. So, but you see, God, uh, Gideon was chicken. God told him what to do, and he did it. He was still chicken, but he did what he was supposed to do. So then the Lord says to Gideon, there's still too many. What? Two-thirds of them went home already, and we were already outnumbered. It says, bring them down to the spring, and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. Gideon took his warriors down to the water. The Lord told him, divide them into two groups, and in the one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and just drink straight out of the stream. Um, 300 of the men drink with their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. So out of 10,000 men left, there's only 300 that did this certain thing. And God says, send the others home. So he has only one thing to do. He's chicken is everything, but he does it. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. He doesn't know what's going to happen five steps down, but he has one thing to do, and he knows to do it, and he does it. So Gideon collected the provisions. I think before these people went away, he took some of their stuff with them and said, we might need that. Thank you. And he sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. Now, best I can tell, there were about 135,000 of the enemy with camels and all this stuff. So he's got 300 to 135,000. They're up around. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for there, for I've given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, well, duh, yeah, I'm afraid, go down to the camp with your servant. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. God loves us so much. He knows when we need a little bit of extra boost. And he gives it to us. He knew, he knew Gideon was scared to death. But he's given him one thing at a time to do, and that's kind of how it works. So um, the, so Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east were settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up, just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. That's very strange. A loaf of barley bread is knocking over a tent, turns it over, knocks it flat. Now, the very strange part is his companion's answer to him, because we haven't been told that they know anything about Gideon, right? They don't know anything. But his companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. Okay. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Well, I can think of several other crazy 
things that the dream could mean. But God had told this enemy what the dream meant. Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, and he bowed his, uh, he bowed in worship before the Lord. He had one thing to do. Let's see if he does it. He, he does it. Then he, see if he does it. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midian, Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. I don't see a sword to do anything with. I don't see a shield. I don't see an arrow, you know, bow and arrow. They have a torch with a clay jar over it to kind of keep it. They're hiding their light under a bushel, so to speak. They're putting their clay jar over their torch so it doesn't give much light. And they have a ram's horn, like a horn to blow. Then he says to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those who with me blow the ram's horn, you do the same thing. Blow your horns too and all around the entire camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight and after the changing of the guard when Gideon and his 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. So he had one thing to do. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he did it. So suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. So now they're surrounding the Midianite camp. They are all holding torches to let everybody know exactly where they are. They have a ram's horn, and they're blowing the trumpet to wake the whole crowd up. They have no sword, no shield, no nothing. They just have this torch and this horn, and they're standing there. This is not the way you fight a big army. But each man stood, this is verse 21, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beth Shittah near Zerara and to the border of Amal Meholah near Tabath. That's a long ways away. Okay? So all of them, I guess they acted like me in the morning when I wake up because my head is not straight when I wake up in the morning. They got woke up in the middle of the night and they started attacking each other. And meanwhile, Gideon and his 300 men are just standing there watching people run by, you know, run away. Okay. There's no way that they can claim that I did this. There's no way they can claim, look how many people I killed with my ram's horn. It's just not, it's what God wanted. But Gideon, he didn't know at the beginning that this is what was going to happen. He had direction from God that you're going to do this thing. He didn't know that it was going to be 300 men. He didn't know that it was going to be with a ram's horn. He didn't know that it was going to be some kind of torch clay pot contraption. He just knew one thing at a time. You do this one thing, and then I'll show you the next step. And then you do this next step, and then I'll show you the next thing. And Gideon, even though he was a chicken the whole time along, did the one thing, quaking in his boots. You could hear his knees knocking, but he takes the one step. And then he's like, God, I'm scared. Take that one step. Okay, well, I can do that. 
Okay, well, God, I need a sign. I need another sign. No, okay, here's your signs. Take one more step. And he just takes the one step. And by the time he got to the end, he was no longer hiding behind the wine press. He was standing on a hill with his 300 men, holding his torch in the air and blowing his trumpet because God took him step by step. If God had told him at the beginning when he said, you're going to destroy the Midianites, I think if he had told him, you're going to destroy the Midianites with 300 men and ram's horns and clay pot torch contraptions, Gideon would have just been overwhelmed. He would have been too scared. But he knew how to do one step at a time. So basically, you can read the story more. It's not over yet. The people who hadn't been called to battle suddenly uh, rebel. They, they go against Gideon and say, why didn't you invite us? You know, and, and all kinds of things that, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, you can read the story further in, in chapter 8 of Judges. It's quite interesting. And Gideon wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. But God was with him, and they, Gideon is known as a judge in the list of judges, uh, along with Samson and Deborah and other, other major names, that Gideon had this great battle. And it started with him behind a wine press, threshing wheat so that nobody could see him. If you could stand, I want to read Hebrews 11, um, verses 32 through 34. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped deaths by the edge of the sword. Their weakness, their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put, the whole, put whole armies to flight. So how does this apply to you and me? How, how does Gideon have anything to do with you and me? Well, as I've already said, we can be really chicken. Um, I can be really chicken. We doubt God, and we say, I need a sign. And we say, where is God of, the, of our ancestors? Um, I'm not seeing him, and I've been turned over to, you know, these crazy people that keep stealing my stuff. Um, but we do this over and over, and God is so patient with us. He is so patient with us. He doesn't put on us more than we can take. Well, he might put on us more than we can take, but he doesn't put more on us than we can take with his help. Gideon couldn't have done this whole thing by himself. But he said, go with the strength that you have. Well, the strength that I have is not very much. But the strength that I have with God on my side, that, that's some strength. But God's patient with us. And we can have faith. We can put some action behind our belief. And it doesn't mean that we won't be chicken. And it doesn't mean we won't doubt. And we may always doubt. God will tell us one step and we'll do it and then we'll quake in our boots again. But there, there comes a time when we have to call for the army. We have to put it on the line. 
We have to send 99% of the army home. We eventually have to break the jar. And that becomes our one step. And that's okay. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to say, God, I need help. I don't believe it. It's okay to, to feel that. But we, it's best if we do it. We have to just do it. Um, we can ask God... And we can find from God today here one thing for us to do. Maybe you already know it. Maybe you know what God has been calling you to do. Maybe it was last Sunday in regard to serving. Maybe there's something God is calling you to, to minister to the body of Christ. Maybe there's one thing in relation to your neighbor. Maybe there's one thing in relation to your family. Maybe you need to make some changes in your lifestyle. Maybe... Maybe you know that you've done some things wrong, and maybe you're brand new to this funny God who you're not even quite sure is really there, but he's told you, you know that there's some things you've done wrong, and so you can repent. That's a big word for basically telling God, I'm sorry, and I don't want to do that anymore. That's just one thing. It's not, it doesn't mean you have to commit to anything going forward. You know, I'm going to give up this or change this. No, you just have to tell God you're sorry. And you want to make a change in your life, and you're going to follow him for that next one step. And I'm going to take this step of repentance, and then I'll do, we'll put off the next step till later. But you can do the one thing. Maybe it's that you have repented and you know that you need to get baptized in the name of Jesus. But that's just so weird. I mean, I took a shower. Why do I need to get dipped in water that doesn't even have soap, you know? But it's weird. You're right. It was weird for, for Gideon to do some silly water test and send a bunch of people home. But it's one thing. And what would you... One thing I've been asking myself lately, because I am a big chicken... Luckily, God uses big chickens. But I asked myself, okay, if I did totally believe, what would I do? And sometimes that's, I'm learning that's okay to ask. Maybe I don't fully believe. But if I believed, would I get baptized? Maybe that's your one thing to do. Maybe you need to continue to grow in your relationship with God and ask if there is anything that you need to remove from your life. Maybe... Maybe you need to serve your community in some way. I don't know. But I'm asking us if you could all come. You can kneel or stand. If you feel comfortable coming, that's great. If not, you can pray in your pew. But ask God today what the one thing is that's in front of you that God's asking you to do. Not 15 steps, not the whole plan of attack, but just the one thing. And if, if it involves someone else, then you do that. Maybe it's apologizing to someone. Maybe it's getting baptized. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I want to be baptized. How does that happen? All of these things are just one step, and you can be a big chicken, and it's okay. But what would you do if you believed God? And uh, if we take one step at a time, in the end, we'll look back, just like Gideon did, and go, wow, now... Now I know where the God of Israel is, and I know that he works miracles. So let's pray.